0: Hi, everyone. Paul and Mikey here. Just want you to know that we're, we're working on the next season. It'll be on soon, but we're making a few changes this
1: time, aren't we, mate? That's right. We're going to have some new guests. They're going to be bringing their heroes, their howlers, and we're going to see how they stack up against ours. But right now, we're going to go back to season two and play Paul's blockbuster,
0: our very own sword and sandal epic, <laughs> Anthony and Cleopatra. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins, and you mightn't know this about me, but I've always been a bit of a
1: history tragic. But my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's a show. It's about the unsung heroes, the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have so changed the course of mankind. Actually, mate, it's also about the cock-ups, the
0: howlers, those moments of madness, tragic, they're sometimes funny, that have made the world what it is today. Okay, folks, so today's episode is a showdown, a prize fight between some of the most memorable names of the ancient world, Mm -hmm. names which shot to fame with the assassination of the biggest daddy of them all. That's right, Mikey, we're
1: talking 44 BC and the murder of Julius Caesar, and in particular... We're going to look at just what could and perhaps should have happened, how things could have turned out oh, oh so differently in the aftermath. Okay, so we're talking about Brutus and Cassius, the ones that
0: did the dreaded deed. And, of course, we're talking about Octavian, the man who would eventually succeed JC and become Rome's first fully-fledged emperor. Yep. But the man you want
1: us to concentrate on is
0: the man in the other corner, mm. the south poor
1: Marcus Antonius. He's gone down, as, of course, Marcus as as Mark Antony in history. He was just... Julius Caesar's top general, right? He was his right hand man, um, and of course, he gives that famous speech at the funeral. Yeah, friends, Romans. Yeah, that speech. Yeah. So, we're at the funeral. Mark Antony's, Mark Antony's giving, <laughs> giving his big speech, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, there's been a bit of a spanner in the works because Julius Caesar's will, yeah. which Mark Antony reads out you know, and, 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 and gives to the people, one point which doesn't really fit with, the, uh, with Mark Antony's narrative is that Julius Caesar names Octavian, who's his great-nephew, he makes him his adopted son, and he names him as heir to all his lands and wealth. Because Mark Antony, even though he's been... Julius Caesar's right-hand man. Oh, oh, Julius Caesar was getting a bit jealous there towards the end because people were starting to speculate that Mark Antony was actually the better general and he was increasingly the shining star. Particularly against the Gauls. Right. So Mark Antony, even though he's the most powerful man in Rome and in in all the Roman lands, he can't just become the automatic leader. Rather, he's been forced to, he basically has to compromise his power and do a deal. This would be your second triumvirate. That's right, the second triumvirate. The, the first one, of course, being Julius Caesar, Pompey and Crassus. Yeah, so he has to do a deal with Octavian and say, look, okay, we're going to have to share power here. With Octavian. And then you got Marcus Aurelius uh, Lepidus. Yeah, <laughs> he, was, he was a general as and well. And he was a general. So basically, if you if you imagine it, J- uh, Julius Caesar was the, the top dog, uh, Mark Antony was his right-hand man, and Lepidus was basically his left-hand man, if you like. Right. Yeah. But anyway, the important thing is that this new triumvirate <laughs> I'm trying not to giggle the words left hand man but keep <laughs> yeah, <right>. going so <laughs> this triumvirate they are going to uh, fight against Cassius and Brutus because the, the assassins are basically they've Formed their own party, if you like, and they've taken over a section of the empire. And then they call themselves the Liberators, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. As you do, I mean, let's face it, everyone calls themselves the Liberator when it suits them. Yeah. Uh, Rather uh, than the uh, Assassins, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Which brings us to
1: our first major bout and a pretty impressive undercard. That's right, yeah. But looking at civil war, really, Mikey, yeah, between the Second Term on one side and the Liberators on the other, and it all comes to a head 23rd of October, 42 BC, that big. Big battle at Philippi, which is you know modern day Macedonia, right? And this is a, a key, you know, a key because this could go either way. Yeah, you know, it really could. Is it is it going to be the the Caesar Julius Caesar faction, or is it going to be is it going to go back with the assassins and the liberators?
0: Because, and you're much more of a military person than I am. <laughs> yeah. When you look at how it started, it looked like the, the, the Brutus and Cassius and mm. the
1: so-called Liberators, mm. they're in the better position. Well, that's it. They've got, yeah, they've got a lot of legions under their command. So of Octavia and, and Marcus Anthony. But they've chosen the site for the battle. They've got to Philippi first. Right. And they've got their nice position at the top of the hill. On one side, you've got like a big swampy area. and the other side, you've got mountain area. So really, they are a very, very strong position. And Marcus... Antonius, Mark Mark Antony and uh, Octavia, they bring up their legions. But then, yeah, and this this is what I say about Mark (laughs) Antony being underrated, Basically, Octavia, he, he says he's sick, uh, yeah, he, he's staying in his tent, he yeah, can't he, he, lead his men. The day of the battle, he goes MIA. So it's all left to Mark Antony, who does his amazing tactics of fainting and going in and coming out and going to the right, and manages, even though he's outnumbered, he manages to defeat Brutus, to defeat Cassius, and win the day for the second triumvirate. So he is now very much the most powerful person in the whole of... Europe. I, you, you can't really say Roman Empire just yet, Mikey, because like we said, we haven't got emperors yet. There's still the Republic. The Rome says, thank you, thank you, Mark Antony, you've saved us. Nice job, um, son. Here you go, what do you want? And so he becomes the, the, the governor of Gaul, and he also takes the eastern part of of the Mediterranean world. So Octavian's in, in Spain, Lepidus is down in northern Africa, and Mark Antony says, I want to be in charge in the east. So with all due respect to Lepidus, he gets the participation award. <laughs> yeah, Lepidus, Yeah, he was very much the third yeah. of the three. <laughs> so, so,
0: so at this point, uh, Mark antony has got Gaul, but he's also got areas we'd know today
1: as Syria... 11, all those great Phoenician cities and ports like Tyre and Sidon. And I think it's really interesting why he chose that. Because, yes, he'd, he'd risen up under Julius Caesar in Gaul. He'd, he'd won a lot of praise and glory. But he'd started his military career in Syria, in Judea. yeah, And he realised that really... The big prize is always going to be in the east because that's where the the power was, that's where the money was. You know, rather than the soggy backwater, also known as <laughs> ancient Britain. All right, that's right, Maggie. Yeah, Western historians like to set great store by Julius Caesar's campaigns against Britain and Gaul and northern Europe. Yeah, but back in the first century, you've got to remember these provinces paled into comparison with the more sophisticated, more civilized lands which had made up antiquity's fertile crescent lands like. Mesopotamia, Mm -hmm. Persia, Babylon,
0: and also too wasn't a a, he was actually a student of Roman history.
1: Well, that's it. He wants to get that glory, which would hopefully he thinks will come by rescuing one of the great tragedies of Roman history. Was when Crassus, who was in the first triumvirate, he'd gone to fight the Parthians in fifty three BC. He'd been defeated, a massive defeat at the Battle of Carrhae, and he'd lost the sacred eagles, the standards of his legions. So, yeah, Mark Anthony thought he's going to get some glory and he's going to win those eagles back and he's going to get... (laughs) Win those eagles back. (laughs) (laughs) You sound
0: like an AFL commentator. But but here's the thing, though. If you're talking about the Parthians, you're going to need... someone that's
1: right you're going to need someone and something you're going to need Egypt because Egypt is probably the big uh, other powerhouse in the eastern Mediterranean at the time and of course Egypt in the first century BC can only mean one person
0: Talking about the great title fight of the first century B.C., Mark Antony versus Octavian, later known as Augustus. It's Mm. the birth of Imperial Rome, Mm. and we're
1: about to bring in one of the major players, Cleopatra. Cleopatra, that's right, so... Cleopatra, obviously, she, she's gone down in history as, as the great temptress. You've know, you got that, Liz Taylor, uh, the movies of Richard Burton. Can I just diverge for a second? There's that famous thing we always talk
0: about, you know, always hear about Cleopatra bathing in ass's milk. Yes. Which she probably did. Right. But they've done some, someone with more time on their hands than, than either <laughs> of us has done the calculations. To bathe in asses' milk like that, you'd have to milk seven hundred asses a day. <laughs> seven hundred <laughs> asses yeah, they're,
1: they're pretty stingy with the milk. But a lot of that whole thing about uh, you know our image of Cleopatra—that's my point, Mikey. Yeah, you know, looks can be deceiving. Yeah, sure, she may have had it. Beautiful nose. <laughs> in fact, we know that's true because it's in Aspects in Cleopatra. Oh, right. <laughs> but but as beautiful as, n- as that nose may have been, the real truth is she was also a very hard nosed politician. Ah, oh, like yeah, how you work yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah nice yeah. one. Nice, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice one, so, Tyrion. Because she is the Pharaoh, yeah, of Egypt, but she is not Egyptian. Right? She is Greek. Her lineage goes back to one of your mates, so Alexander the Great's mate. Exactly. So it goes back to Ptolemy, Ptolemy I, Cleopatra's great, 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 great grandfather. And he, when Alexander dies, and it's obvious the empire's too big, it's going to have to break up, he's the smart one. Because what he does is, when Alexander dies, obviously his body, mm. normally, uh, everyone expects the body to be brought back to Macedonia, where he's from, and well, to be, because his father Philip is is buried that, in right, that big to, the big tomb, the yeah. mausoleum that Philip's in, which is actually now in Greece, which is another story. But we'll, we'll leave that for another we episode. Don't have time for that, mate. Yeah, um, he says no, no, no. He would he would want it to be buried in Alexandria. Can I just point out that this is an ancient historical version of Weekend of Bernie's? As long as you hang on to the dead body, you've you've got the power. You've got the power, right. So he brings the body, and he ends up getting interred in the mausoleum in Alexandria, and it's still there, By the time we get to Mark Antony and uh, and Cleopatra, I didn't realise you told me she was the first pharaoh that actually spoke. Well, so she's the first of the Ptolemies to actually to bother to learn to speak Egyptian. So obviously the old the old pharaohs, Ramesses, all those guys, they they were were Egyptians, but the the, the Ptolemies because they were all Greek, they only spoke Greek, and they never actually none of them, none of the rulers ever left Alexandria. But Cleopatra said, "No, look, come on, we've got to take this seriously." She learnt the local language. She went out. Into the the bush, if you like. She went out into the real Egypt. She met the real Egyptians. Those famous um,
0: images of her on barges going, going up on, and down and, the Nile on, 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 right, yeah. on
1: basic fact finding
0: missions. And she put yeah. out to them when she learned Egyptian. Apart from Egyptian and Greek, she spoke four, five yes. other languages. Yeah,
1: so she, she was a super smart cookie, right? Yeah, but yeah, don't get me wrong. She, she also wasn't shy of grabbing power. You know, she probably killed her brother, Yeah, Toleme the thirteenth, and her other brother, Ptolemy the fourteenth. And of course, if you get That power, if you get Egypt, you really are. You know, at the, at the time, it's a client kingdom of Rome, it, it's not completely independent, but it's still very, very rich. The breadbasket of antiquity, right? Because at this time, it was beautiful, um, farming land, and yeah, it really was like the hub. But it's not just wheat that Cleopatra's got by
0: 47 BC. She's got
1: something else. Well, yes, yeah, something or someone else, because like I said, she's not shy of uh, getting her things her own way. And when Julius Caesar, before he was assassinated, when he did come down to Egypt to try and cement the alliance, let's just say the alliance was cemented. <laughs> and he, she had a son by Caesar who officially is called Ptolemy Fifteenth, but most people call him Caesarian because obviously that was how he was born. He was was the son of Caesar, and that's where we get the word Caesarian from. That's
0: where we get, yeah. But of course, she she then goes back to, and we've all seen
1: it in the movie with Elizabeth Taylor, she goes back to
0: Rome. Yeah. There's the assassination, and she
1: and Caesarian... Well, they have to flee, right? Because as soon as Julius Caesar, her protector, Mm. um, has gone, she's in trouble. Because the problem was, Julius Caesar never actually recognised Caesarian as his son. So he he was happy for them to go to Rome. He gave them a villa. They had somewhere to live. But he refused to recognise Caesarian. And, of course, in that will, as we heard before, when it comes to nominating his, his heir, his successor, he chooses instead, he chooses Octavian, um, and Caesarian is cut out of the picture. There's a fair amount of Roman snobbery going on here, isn't there? Well, that's it. And I think that's the the, the, the main thrust of my argument today, Mikey. Yeah. You know, Julius Caesar, yeah, you know, he was just using and abusing. Yeah, you know, As far as he was concerned, he just wanted to rinse Everything he could get, all the booty, all the. Yeah, just exploit it for what he could get um, from Egypt. Yeah, he treated. Cleopatra as his mistress, you know, if he got kids, who cares?
0: Hey, can, can I just say that he sounds very transactional in his behaviour. <laughs> yeah, hang on, a transactional guy with a bad comb over. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you
1: know, <laughs> you, you, you can draw the, your own conclusions there. That's right. But Mark Antony, his attitude is completely different. You know, like we said earlier on, he's already decided that the East is actually the way forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as, he, even though he, he's been to Gaul, you know, he, he's he's campaigned there, and he realises, okay, it's not bad. It's all right. Yeah, but it's pretty wet, it's pretty cold, it's pretty miserable. He hasn't really got that much stuff. And plus also, um, too, if you're going east, you're following the path of Alexander the Great. That's it. M- why not? Let's go for the real glory. You know, let's follow those footsteps of Alexander the Great. Let's try and build our empire eastwards, because, of course, you know, with the... You know, at this stage, beginning of the, the turn of B.C. into A.D., this is when all the Silk Roads are taking off. Yep. You know, um, and yeah, you know, we've got evidence of Roman ships and Egyptian ships now. They're bypassing Arabia. They're going to India. Um, and they're bringing out all the goodies, all the spices, all the silks and um, that are coming from the east. And he realises that's where it's going to be the power. Yep. It's going to be the money. And he, and he, puts, his, he puts his money where his mouth is. Don't, he actually builds a headquarters. Well, that's it. He moves his... Base his HQ to Turkey and to Greece. Yeah, he, he moves out of Rome. Now, unfortunately, that later on could be a problem because Octavian. Octavian, Octavia will stitch because off. he officially, yeah, officially, yeah, officially, Italy is supposed to be neutral. But the one downside is that Octavian sees that as a weakness and that he can exploit. Paul, if history has taught us anything, it's that. Italy's never, ever really neutral. <laughs> All right. So we are on to 41 BC Oh, Oh, are
0: we, we going to do the barge? You're going
1: to um, do the barge. Your your favourite, the bit you've been looking forward yeah. to. Tarsus. We're at Tarsus. So we've got the second triumvirate. Mark Antony is making his power base in the east. Octavian has got his power base in the west. Yep. And so Mark Antony, like we were talked about, he wants to follow the footsteps of Alexander Great, and he also wants to get that glory of going to war against the Parthians to av- avenge the defeat of Crassus in 53. But he can't do any of that on it, his own. Without Cleopatra, without Egypt. And so you've got a bit of a Mexican standoff here, Mikey, because she does have a bit of a problem because it's gone down in history that she probably supported Cassius and the Liberators with, either with money or with arms or with men. Oh, because she was ticked off that JC didn't recognise her son. Exactly. She was so annoyed that Julius Caesar had... had Stabbed her in the back, yeah you know, she was you know quite willing to turn the tables, but don 't forget at this stage mark Antony, he's married uh, to fluvia he 's married to fluvia right so and he, Fli- fluvia's back in italy that's it, so she 's basically trying to protect his back in Rome and right. um, because he's moved to the east, and octavian's trying to muscle in and get the Romans against Mark Antony. So, Fluvia stayed in Rome and she is protecting his cause, if you, li- if you right. like, but she's not going to keep protecting if she hears that, you know... He's, he, and, he and Cleopatra. Him and Cleopatra and, 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 having a chat. And it's, it's not just the
0: wiles and the charms of Cleopatra, <laughs> and it's not just the legions, it's also to the navy. That's right, yeah. So,
1: yeah, know, yeah, Cleopatra, she, she has got great wealth, obviously, yeah. but she's also got real power and she's got real military expertise, which he will need if he's going to go and fight... The Parthians. So Mark Antony says, I'm not coming to you. Right. Cleopatra says, well, I'm not coming to you. Right. He goes to Tarsus. Yeah. And then she goes, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in style. And she arrives, that's when she arrives on your great, big, beautiful golden barge. One of the most amazing,
0: I mean, all we have, all we really have, or we know about it, is artistic recreation. Yeah, the image was Taylor, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, it, it had a forest on it.
1: Yeah, you know, it was, it was it, it, of, of all the grand entrances over time, yeah, she, that must be the most dramatic entrance I think anyone's ever had in, in history. So we've got Tarsus, 41 BC. Cleo and uh, Mark Anthony get together and let's just say she's in her you know mid late 20s he's in his early 40s he may be married to fluvia but uh yeah, well
0: right they made an alliance
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think about that. and uh, out of that alliance yeah, a, yeah. a couple of alliances a night i think actually <laughs> yeah, unfortunately yeah and yeah and obviously the following year she does have two children twins um, who beca- go on to be alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selene. Yeah, so, it, unfortunately, yeah, we can't say Mark Antony is completely pure um, and as, as the driven snow. Yeah, but also, too, by the year that they're born, we're now in 40 BC, mm. that's when the Carca really hits the wafting fan. <laughs> that's right. So, unfortunately, now the, the Second Triumvirate is, is almost over, um, and basically Rome is descending into civil war because Fulvia, she's, when she's been trying to protect Mark Antony's interests back in Rome, so they've, she's actually attacked Octavian and his forces. They've had a, these running battles in Italy, which she's lost. She gets banished. Well, she—we don't know whether she's on her way to exile when she dies. When she dies on the way, but basically she dies very conveniently in 40 B.C. And so, Mark Antony's so heartbroken, he... Well, you see, this is the thing. Mark Antony, at this stage, could have gone for it. He could have said, okay, well, let's just keep... Let's go f- all-out war. Yeah. Um, you, you know, if you've poisoned or knocked off my wife... Yeah. Um, Even though I've been having it with yeah. off of the nuclear battery, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm going to... The, the gloves are off, but he doesn't. And I must admit, Mikey, yeah, that, this is where it d- does get a bit weird, because at this point, Octavian says... Well, in that case, you know, now you're single again. Forget Fluvia, forget Cleopatra. Why don't you marry my sister, Octavia? Oh, wow! Well. Yeah, right. That, that way, we'll reforge our friendship. We'll put everything back together, and we'll stop fighting. And the, you know, Rome will be saved. He couldn't just send a sympathy card. He sent his sister. Yeah, well, and, and Mark Antony said, "Okay, for the greater good, for the good of Rome, I'll do it." <laughs> what? But the thing is, <laughs> she turns up, and she's pregnant. With a child by her first husband, right? Okay, Marcellus. Okay, so Octavian is saying, "Come and marry my sister," and Mark Antony's going, "But so on, on, isn't she, she pregnant with, with her husband's uh, yeah. child?" So. Very conveniently again, Marcellus disappears yeah. one night out, out for a stroll in 40 BC too. So Marcellus gets gone, Fulvia gets gone, which opens the way so that Mark Antony can marry Octavia and declare peace and declare the second triumvirate gets back together, even though by this stage, you know, um, Octavian is really, yeah, he's really twisting the knife. He's undermining M- Mark Antony at every Every turn, and he, he even gets rid of Leopardus at, you know, at this stage. You know, so it's oh, the, bit,
0: the guy who had North yeah, Africa, yeah.
1: The third, the third of the, yeah, he, he just basically gets pushed out the picture. And now it really is just going to be straight head to head champion versus challenger who can deliver the knockout, which brings me to the Parthian campaign, right? Because there is one more before we get to the path of the Ma- yeah. Mike there's one more fly in the ointment which we do need to mention This is more complicated than <laughs> days of our lives and and the beautiful combined <laughs> So the first triumvirate Julius Caesar was with another guy <laughs> called Pompey Yeah um, now that Pompey got defeated and he's gone but his yeah. son Pompey the younger has made a base for himself in Sicily okay and he's oh, and really? he, he's got all the best ships he's got the best navy and he's doing a bit of a pirate job on Italy um, from from his base in Sicily. So Octavian says, okay, now we're all back together in peace and you've married my sister and everything's hunky-dory. Let's really help each other. Can you send me your boats and your navy, Mark, please, Mr. Anthony, and that'll help me and I'll put them with my ships and we'll defeat Pompey and then I'll give you or my soldiers, for your campaign against the Parthians. Ah, well, that, that makes sense. And yep. So it's a straight-out deal. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So Mark Antony does, you know, as, as he promises, he sends all his ships, and Pompey is defeated. Octavian's now in charge of Gaul, the West, Spain, Italy, no threats at all. But now, mm. Octavian says, oh... Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, those legions I promised you for the Parthian campaign, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to be late. Yeah, oh, we, there's a few problems back home. I can't really spare them just at the moment. So does Mark Antony go ahead with the Parthian campaign? Well, yeah, Mark Antony he knows that the east is where, you know that's where all the glory is going to be. That's what he's promised the Roman Republic that he's going to go and get those you know, sacred legion standards back from uh, from the Crassus campaign. So he goes anyway right. and he fights anyway, even though he's only got half the amount of. Hoops he needs, and he's been outnumbered by the Parthians. And unfortunately, yeah, he does. He he gets. Beaten every, every turn. Well,
0: also, to, because
1: the, the King of Armenia was supposed to give him a hand and he didn't show up. Well, all that. that's it. Yeah. So that's the problem. As soon as everyone realized that Octavian wasn't sending all his legions uh. and that Mark Anthony's going to be outnumbered, suddenly, of course, the other allies, people like the King of Armenia, uh. they say, well, mate, you're going to lose. I'm, I'm going to have to back the Parthians. So, that's,
0: yeah. We're going to point out this is the third time in this story that a military leader
1: has not shown up on the day. No, exactly. Look, Mark Antony, he re- I think he is a bit of a hostage of fortune. Yeah. He does get. He gets let down by more than one person on more than one occasion, and just to rub salt into the wounds, now mm. you know Octavian's, he's, he, he's got his power base, he's muscled in on Rome, and now he starts this big PR coup to really lay it in to Mark Antony. Yeah, he he tells his sister um to divorce. Mark right. Antony yeah, launches a smear campaign, blaming it all, saying that all he cares about is Cleopatra, all he cares about is Egypt. He doesn't love Rome anymore. He wants to get buried in Egypt. He blackens his name and he says, you know, don't don't vote for Mark Antony. Don't make him consul again because, yeah, he'll, he'll just try and he's, he's going to recognise Caesarean as Julius Caesar's heir, not me. He's going to give Egypt some new lands, some new territory. He's going to give them independence. He's going to try and set up a rival empire. So how does Mark Antony react to this? Well, he hasn't got much choice. You know, for him, the future lies in the East. Yeah, and that brings us, of course, to the second epic matchup, the famous Battle of Actium, you know, September the 2nd, 31 BC. <laughs>
0: Okay, folks, so it's 31 BC and one of the biggest title fights in history. In the blue corner, Octavian, soon to be Augustus. In the
1: red corner, Mark Antony, the Battle of Actium. Right, so you've got the battle, battle of Actium, and um, when Actium is on the Ionian western coast, of Greece, just next to where Captain Corelli later had his mandolin, funnily enough, and it ends up being a naval battle. The idea is it's going to be a land battle, but it ends up being a naval battle. And so on one side, you've got Mark Antony and you've got Cleopatra. So you've got all Mark Antony's legions, all his Roman navy, and you've got the uh, the Egyptian legions and the Egyptian navy too on one side. On one side. And then on the other side, you would think you'd have Octavian leading... The charge, but actually, (laughs) this is what one of the things that really annoys me about uh, Octavian becoming Augustus. Yeah, Yeah, the man who set up the Pax Romanus, But keep going, mate. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not him who wins this battle. What? It's his admiral, Agrippa. Because, like I said, it was supposed to be a land battle, but it ends up being a naval battle. So it's actually Agrippa, who is the admiral in charge of the fleet for uh, Octavian, who takes on Mark Antony, takes on Cleopatra, basically traps Mark Antony and and Cleopatra up against the coast, and then the winds change, um, and they try and push Agrippa back, and then suddenly there's a gap, and then the wind, and before you know it, Cleopatra's Egyptian fleet have been pushed to one side and now really, because of the wind, they can't get back. So they realise that they're not going to be able to play a role in in this battle and they start retreating, basically. This is the fourth time in this story (laughs) that someone has let Mark Antony down in a battle. Right, so Mark Antony's now left with his own. He's only got half his ships. Yeah, so he tries it, he goes in, he makes an advance, uh, an attack against Agrippa, but then he gets pushed back. The ships are getting slaughtered, so he he needs to make a run for it as well. And both... Mark Antony and Cleopatra are forced to flee. So Octavian now, so he claims all the glory. He says, oh, I've defeated you both, And sends messages back to Rome, and he charges down to Egypt with his legions. Mm. Yeah, poor old Agrippa. Yeah, does, he gets nothing. But there you go. And it's... Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> I love how you just, just dismiss one of the great naval geniuses of all time. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. So Mark Antony and Cleopatra, they are, they are, they're back in Alexandria. They try to make a last stand. But, of course, it's too late for that. And that's when my mate Apollodorus the Sicilian, who is basically uh, Cleopatra's, you know, spy master, right-hand man um, in court. And he... Apollodorus the Sicilian spy master. I know. It's It's good, isn't it? I like like that. And uh, he says to Mark Antony, he says, the battle's been lost. Cleopatra's committed suicide. It's all over. And so Mark Antony falls on his sword. But yeah, then Apollodorus <laughs> confesses that, actually, I was winding you up. <laughs> Cleopatra's alive and well. She's over in that mausoleum on the other side of the palace. So Mark Antony, you, go, you know, he's, he's bleeding to he, death, yeah, but yeah. he's not quite dead yet. So he gets his men to carry him into the arms of Cleopatra in the, yeah, in the mausoleum. Oh, those crazy kids. And, of course, he dies. But she lives. So, and she's just thinking, okay, well, we've been beaten. What can we do? Octavian then makes a, you know, this is how Machiavellian Octavian. Octavian then says, well, if you want, you can marry me. What? And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'll get you a couple oh, of. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. This bit's not in the movie. Yeah, no, she, yeah, she's already been with Julius Caesar. This she's already been with be be Mark Antony. So Octavian says, well, you know, why don't you just come with me for a bit? I'll take you back to Rome, show you a good time. But really... What he meant was, I'll put you in my triumph and I'll put you in chains and I'll I'll lead you down the Appian way. So Cleopatra smells a rat and she says, no, I'm not going for that. And that's, of course, when she commits suicide. With or without an asp. So there you go, folks. That's the the end of today's show. And yeah, we looked at Mark Antony, whether he was the hero or the howler. I think... He was the hero. I think that you know Julius Caesar, Augustus, probably Cleopatra as well. They were the real howlers, um, and I think it's all because Augustus did win. Of course, you know the winners write history. He was able to blacken Mark Antony's name. Yeah, you know, he he was able to get the historians on his side, which is to, still the image we have to this day of yeah. of, of him. And and um, that's it. That's where we get all the Shakespeare stuff from. Is all, all these stories start getting peddled by? Augustus, as soon as he becomes Caesar, you've got to admit he does get let down. and He does get outsmarted. I mean, in he the, gets outsmarted. And, and look, oh, Cleopatra hey, plays him like a, like a fiddle. Like a, and also, too, <laughs>
0: Octavian played, yeah.
1: he played the long game, and well, he ends up becoming the Emperor Augustus. But my man. Marcus Antonius Mark Antony his vision mm. his vision of the east his vision that really the great power was going to always going to be in east not west not in not in europe he was proved i think 3 centuries later yeah i think he was proved right you know because in the 330 AD constantine of course has to move the empire's capital from rome to the Byzantium which he you know remakes as Constantinople, Constantinople which, you know. which becomes one of the most beautiful most powerful cities in the world for centuries that's right and yeah I think if Mark Antony yeah in my opinion yeah he's probably the, the greatest emperor Rome never had yeah you know, because if he'd been there if, if he'd succeeded with Cleopatra they would have got the the, the the power the glory the economics the ideas and we wouldn't have got people like Nero and Caligula mm-hmm.